Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Emanway. Say hello, Scott. Happy, happy day to everybody. It is a happy day. It is for me. There you go. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Om nom nom. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. And let's just get right into this. Let's just do it. Let's do Jump it. Jump in. On the evening of December 27, 2005, in my home province of Nova Scotia, Jason McRae, the husband of a beloved educator, artist, sister, and mother named Paula Ann Gallant, reported her missing. Jason said Paula had failed to return to her home in the Timberley area after a shopping trip to nearby Halifax. That same night... Paula's body was found locked in the trunk of her car in the parking lot of the school where she taught third grade. Oh, damn. The cause of Paula's death was not immediately evident, nor was it apparent how she had come to be in the trunk of her vehicle. Yeah, you don't typically die of natural causes in your own trunk? No, you definitely do not. Yeah. You are listening to episode 144, Perseverance, Prosecution, and Peace. The murder of Paula Gallant. This is an intriguing start. I am aware of this because it's from my home province. Uh, My sister lived in that neighborhood as well, uh, a little ways away from there, but close by. Yep. Yep. And much of the important information we have on Paula Gallant's life comes from an archived copy of the extensive writings on a website dedicated to her, created by her loving family, friends, colleagues, and students. 
and it was formerly at paulagalant.com. It's now not there. Mm. The site was maintained by Paula's brother-in-law, Paul Kenny, a high school friend of mine. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would have reached out to Paul directly to help with this episode, but at the beginning of the COVID crisis this year, Paul passed away from a heart attack. Oh, no. That's double sad. He loved music, played saxophone, and was a guard on the Bridgewater Senior High School basketball team. Go Vikings! <laughs> People called him Squint or Squinty because he wore glasses. And if he took his glasses off, he, yeah, he would gotcha. squint at you. Yep. I remember him best for his sense of humor. Paul Kenny was only 53 years old and he was a good egg. He would have been 54 this coming week. Yet another example of the crazy connections I have to crimes in Nova Scotia. The man, 54 is just too young? Yeah. Jesus. Paul and Diane Gilbert had relocated to Cape Breton Island from Ontario in 1967. The third of their three daughters was born in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia on December 5, 1969. Lana and Lynn were over the moon with the arrival of their new baby sister at their Cody Street home, and her name was Paula Ann. From that moment forward, the trio of sisters were inseparable. From later writings by Paula's sister, Lana, my friend Paul's wife, quote, We were very fortunate to have grown up on Cody Street to wonderful and caring parents who not only taught by example but lived the importance of love, compassion, sharing, respect, and more importantly, a sense of family. Cody Street was quite unique in that it was a neighborhood of families who treated each neighbor like family. This became the foundation for many memories which have carried through to our adult years, memories which we now share with our own children, end quote. I think that's the kind of neighborhood most of us uh, have dreamt about living in. Well, I have lived in that kind of neighborhood. Well, aren't you just fancy? Well, not really. That's, I, we'll talk more about it as we go. The surviving sisters still have regular reunions with their Cody Street pals. Oh, wow. I, you know, I, I did the same thing when I went back to my 30th high school <laughs> reunion. I rolled my eyes at 30. Um, I recall the neighborhood that I grew up in being very much the same. Mm-hmm. And we knew each other well and cared for each other. Sure, there were issues, but we all seemed to manage to put them aside if something was really mm-hmm. needed to happen. I'm not sure that it was an East Coast thing, a small town thing, or had more to do with that era. It might have been all three, but I've never been able to replicate it here in British Columbia. Maybe a little here, because we all kind of know each other in this co-op. So what's your experience been in the smaller places in BC? Do you remember when you lived in Clearwater at all? I know you were only four when you moved. Yeah, not, not, not in the slightest. I mean... I have snapshots of memories from that age, but no, I, I can't tell you the feel of a small town. Yeah. Um, I, and then I grew, spent 10 years, well, many years in East Vancouver. I loved it, but it just, you, you know. didn't, did you ha- have neighbors that you knew really well? Yeah, or? for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I don't stay in touch with them at all. Um, New West is probably more where I, I started to have a sense of growing up in a co-op in New West. Definitely. Yeah. Good little community feel there. As her older sisters had moved to Halifax to start their lives, Paula was the only daughter left at home when her father passed away in 1985. Paula was just about 16, much too young to lose a parent. Paula grew even closer to her mom, Diane, but in June of 1989, Paula was still in her teens when her mother died and left only the three girls. 
Jeez, that's terrible. It Old really parents. is. Yeah. Oh. Lynn and Lana stepped up as older sisters, did what they could do to support Paula, whose dream it was to become a teacher. Paula's older siblings watched over her as she started and finished Teachers College in Truro and began her own independent life. That's nice. From Lana's later writings, quote, As sisters traveling along life's pathway, we remained extremely close in spirit and proximity. Paula and I purchased a home together, and Lynn lived just 15 minutes away, which enabled us to see each other daily, just as it had been at home. We were constantly together and have supported each other along the way. We shared the happier times as each sister married, moved into new homes, and had children. As godparents to each other's children, we celebrated birthdays together, summer vacations in PEI, school concerts, hockey tournaments, and each and every holiday which was just another excuse for us to get together. Ever supportive, we were there for each other when things weren't quite so happy, hoping that by sharing in our sister's angst, we might somehow ease her sadness, end quote. Yeah, just lovely. Uh, I'm sure there's always tension amongst family members at some point in time, but they sound really, really close. Yeah, I, I was never quite that close to my sister, Rachel. We did get along really well until our teen years when I turned to addiction, alcoholism, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I started to really drift away from yeah. my family at yeah. that point. I couldn't bear to be in the same room with them. Yeah. And it wasn't anything they were doing. It was just the place I was. Yeah, yeah. I was not the best son or brother at the time. So although we seem to be doing much better now, I'd still like us to be closer. That's why I kind of dream sometimes about moving home. Yeah. What yeah. about you and Jim? Like, were you and Jim really close growing up? Um... Yeah, we were we were close until about uh, until he was about uh, twelve or so, fourteen uh, ish. He started to addiction took same things that yeah, I was doing. Yeah, addiction took a hold early on. But as a little and, brother, that probably was like, oh, where's Jim? Uh, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it was heartbreaking to constantly see your brother brought home by the police and angry and, and belligerent, and uh, so it. There was always some resentment there. Paula loved teaching, and she got a job in 1999. She landed at Beachville Lakeside Timberley Elementary School called BLT by the teachers there. Perfect! Paula was known for her skill as a communicator, as well as her empathy and compassion. Great traits. Along with loving recollections by her students, a colleague of Paula's shared her memories of Ms. Gallant's prowess as an educator on the website paulagallant.com. Quote, To her classroom each day she brought knowledge, and Paula reveled in the fact that every day garnered her more knowledge to be shared and incorporated within the teaching paradigm. These are big words. Mm. From her students, Paula learned of life and love. To her, knowledge was much more than academics. It was about life and touching each student and adult she encountered. Paula valued sharing, fellowship, professionalism among teachers. To help source out a solution to my challenge and as a show of support, Paula would appear at my door with books and papers. Ms. Gallant was always interested. She was interested in reaching individuals and meeting them from where they came. She was interested in working to reach new heights both for herself and those she taught, and she was interested in making a difference. She believed that in working with children, she could make a difference. To ensure her students learned, Paula connected with her fellow teachers by building positive, supportive relationships that allowed for professional conversations 
Paula built bridges and climbed mountains to ensure her students learned. She worked tirelessly to ask questions, read books, and searched for better and more effective methods of meeting the needs of her students. Yeah, and she sounded like the type of person who you'd want to teach your kids. Someone who's really taken an interest in what they're learning, not yeah, just she, reading from the, the teacher's manual and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah just she, read this chapter. She clearly became a teacher for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. She wasn't phoning it in. Yes, it wasn't just a, well, this will do, um, you know, yeah, this should be okay. It was. She genuinely sounds like she got into it because she wanted the best for the kids. And she's teaching grade three. That's yeah. pretty early in a child's very, education. Very, So she's probably thinking, oh, wow, like I have this chance to make, you know, kids love learning. Well, at such an early age, and if you're ineffective as a teacher in those very young, uh, early grades, you're going to change how somebody feels about education. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're terrible at it or, or you shouldn't be there, that kid's going to dislike school and that will stick with them. Paula also had many artistic talents and begun taking classes at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design in the spring 2004. She was pursuing certification as an art teacher and was attending with another colleague named Rochelle. And Rochelle shared her memories of that time on PaulaGallant.com. Quote, Paula and I thought we would just slide in, get our required B's to ensure our financial reimbursement, all the while wowing our type A friends with our newfound level of... (laughs) Little did we know that this voyage would turn out to be the most grueling, emotionally draining, life-altering journey we would be fortunate enough to experience. Paula completed a number of theory and studio courses. She pushed herself as a conceptual artist explored a variety of mediums, and refined her techniques. From dabbling with paint in the old art room at BLT under Andrea Malone's tutelage to creating 30-hour sculptural pieces that would be shown amongst her peers at NSCAD, Paula made a leap from being a teacher of art to an artist who teaches. So there you go. She's not only a teacher. Yeah. She's also becoming quite an artist, and she's going from teaching probably to maybe night courses i didn't yeah. really quite understand i would i would imagine on. i would imagine but holy be, smokes yeah to unleashing this artist right yeah and then that becoming a probably a key part of her teaching paula based her sculptural pieces referred to previously on the four elements embodied by her parents whom mm. she dearly loved and missed the following is a portion of the essay that paula wrote as a support piece to her sculptures this was presented as part of one of her projects for nascad From Paula's Reflections, quote, My dad to me was earth, nourishing and giving form to what I have become. As a family, we could always count on him to provide life's necessities and make sure we are taken care of. It is said that people who are born with common sense, dependability, and practicality are close associated with the earth's sign. I have so many vivid memories of this with him. He was a guy people called if they needed help, whether it was getting a car fixed, a fence mended, or a garage being built. He was also the wind to me. This sign is associated with intelligence. Dad always used to say no one could take an education away from you. Even though he only completed up to grade four, he was an avid reader, and whatever his interests were, he would read to find out more and more about it. Mm. 
My mom is a true surprise as she is the opposite elements of water and fire. Just like she was opposites between her looks, petite in size, and what her personality was actually like. She represented water to me because it is the essence of emotion. She taught me how to express my feelings, whatever they might be, because there may not be a tomorrow to pull them all out. Then there is the fire, which represents the epitome of strength. After my dad got sick, she endured seven months of watching him suffer through a coma while maintaining a sense of calm over three girls. She did all the things she hadn't had to take care of during their 25 years of marriage. So I guess she's mowing the lawn, doing all those kind of things. And she did so without a word of complaint. When dad passed away, she did all she could do to maintain a sense of normalcy in our family, end quote. I can see why she really misses her parents. They both sound amazing. And that first sentence, uh, to me, my dad was my earth. Yeah. That really hits me. Like, yeah. That really, like, never thought of uh, of it like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Paula had a full, rich, albeit very short life. She'd also fallen for and gotten married to the love of her life, Jason McRae, on July 5th, 2003. Even though Jason was almost four years her junior, the couple were a match. Yeah, sure. According to someone very close to Paula, quote, When Jason came into Paula's life, we saw the light and sparkle in her eyes. Paula and Jason welcomed their daughter Anna into their lives in January of 2005. Anna was Paula's joy and the perfect addition to Paula's life at the right moment. Beautiful. The days before Paula's death were not unusual at all. From court documents, quote, She and Jason McRae spent Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and part of Boxing Day together with their daughter Anna at the home of her sister-in-law Lana and my friend Paul Kenny and their children. Along with them were her sister, her other sister, and brother-in-law Lynn and Elaine Blackburn and their children. So everybody gets Family gathering sounds lovely. The holidays were relaxing and joyful by all accounts, marking Anna's first Christmas. I mean, she's a baby, right? Like, oh, she's going to be the in, focus. In all sense, of, yeah. Yeah, of the focus of everything that's going on. Yeah, it's impossible to have uh, an infant around yeah. at Christmas and not have that be the focus. Paula Gallant and Jason McRae returned to their home with Anna on December 26th. It was time to upgrade, though, from the split-level blue duplex the couple lived in at 41 Silver Maple Drive in Timberley. Okay. So on December 27th, after visiting with her sister Lana, Paula Gallant dropped by a local hardware store and returned home, where she began to do some painting in preparation for their home sale. Okay. She thawed chili from the freezer to reheat for supper that evening. This is sounding wonderful. So far, so good. Lovely. From court documents, quote, on December 27, 2005, at 8.12 p.m., Jason McRae contacted the Halifax Regional Police to seek advice, reporting that his wife had failed to return home from shopping. About 45 minutes earlier, McRae had contacted Lana Kenny to inquire of his wife's whereabouts, telling her she had been gone since about 2 p.m. Ms. Kenny had spoken with Paula at about 1.30 p.m. Paula said she was going out shopping. Okay. This was the last known conversation with Paula Gallant. Ms. Kenny went to her sister's home and together with Jason McRae began phoning Paula's friends and checking her bank and credit cards online for an indication of use. Makes sense. Jason McRae left his home and allegedly drove to the Costco store where he reported Paula had gone to purchase diapers to see if her car could be located there. 
family okay. members and friends began to search for her. So her car wasn't at the Costco. And, and everybody's out searching. It just seems like what you would do. Sure, totally. Yeah. Having turned up nothing, McRae called 911 at 10.14 p.m. and reported his wife as a missing person, prompting an RCMP response. So cops are on their way. Mm-hmm. Four of the friends and family members searching for Paula were brother-in-laws Paul Kenny and Elaine Blackburn. So my buddy Paul was involved in, in this in, whole yeah, yeah. situation. When Lana Kenny was there as well, and their friend, they went to the school where Paula taught. Maybe she's there. Yep. It was within walking distance of the McRae Gallant residence. So kind of as the crow flies, about two blocks. That's nothing. Nothing. Yeah. You just walk through some yards and uh, across a soccer field and you're there. Or throw a crow. There, at 12.30 a.m. on December 28, 2005, they located Paula's locked green 1997 Chevy Cavalier. Oh, boy. Calls were relayed back to the residents and to the RCMP, and Jason McRae attended the school while Paula's sister, Lynn Blackburn, remained with Anna. So... One sister staying home to watch the kid. Yes. With his brother-in-law, Paul, Jason McRae banged on the doors of the school to try and determine if Paula was inside. Yep, seems logical. Once the police arrived and the second set of keys were obtained from her home, Paula's vehicle was open. Paula Gallant was found lying in the fetal position in the trunk under a gray blanket. (sighs) She was dead. Oh, shit. Paula was dressed in jeans and a black nylon jacket with her shoes placed near her head. She was not dressed appropriately for the cold weather, as she had been when Lana had seen her earlier that day. Police determined that her car had arrived there sometime between 4.30 and 6.30. So she's not wearing clothes that you would for this weather? Not at all. In Nova Scotia, at that time of year, Uh you're not going to be wearing a little nylon jacket. Okay. That is not what's going to go on. Yeah, that has me thinking things. It's cold. Yeah. So what happened to Paula? How had she died? And how on earth had she ended up in the trunk of her car? If someone had killed her, who would have done such a thing? And why? Great questions, Mike. And we'll take a break right here and we'll come back and hopefully we'll try to answer those. And we're back. So what are your thoughts so far? Uh, lovely, lovely life uh, to date. Um, yeah. The fact that she wasn't dressed for the weather is something that's really standing out for me mm-hmm. in regards to why she's maybe in her there, trunk, yeah. where she was yep. leading up to that. So yeah, that's something that's really standing out. Okay. So according to court documents, an autopsy was performed on Paula Gallant's body in Halifax the next week. The cause of Paula's death was determined to be asphyxiation. Some of the significant findings included marks on her neck, petechial hemorrhaging in both of her eyes. Mm -hmm. There was a sizable nasty lump and bruise on the back of her head. Okay. There were no signs of defensive wounds. The evidence pointed to someone striking Paula from behind, then manually strangling her until she died. Yeah, yeah, that's, that absolutely makes sense. There was biological material found on the crotch of Paula's jeans. She was wearing only one earring. The degree of brain swelling observed was consistent with an interval of at least several minutes between a lack of oxygen supply and death. 
she had not gone quickly. Yeah, and the petechial hemorrhaging as well. If you're listening to a true crime podcast and you don't know by this point what petechial hemorrhaging is, yeah, look it up. Go- Google it because yeah. it's just that's all just petechial is spelled P E T E C H I A L. In case you're wondering, petechial. It's up there with um. Oh my god, what is it? The spray for blood. Luminol. Luminol. Yeah. Yeah. Neighbors and friends were shocked upon hearing that a murder had occurred in Timberley, yeah. a bedroom community just outside of Halifax. Cops had the area around the school locked down, and an RCMP helicopter flew overhead, scanning the area for possible clues. These are things you do not see in Timberley every day. Just the name Timberley makes me think petite town. Yeah, it's, it's very a small. small. Place. The police were not indicating that there were any significant suspects in the crime at that time. Paula was well known by the parents of her students at the school where she taught. She had no enemies that anyone knew of. Perhaps this was a predator of some sort. People started looking over their shoulders and became more diligent about locking doors. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me a little bit of when uh, Julie Pascal was murdered across the street from where we live. Yeah. Um, That was the kind of thing that we were feeling because we didn't know who had done it or what was going on at that time. Yep. We'll talk about that case one day. Yep. Paula Gallant was buried on January 2nd, 2006, only days after her death and less than a week before her daughter Anna's first birthday. Oh, my God. News cameras captured scenes outside Paula's funeral at the Lakeside Sacred Heart Church. One moving photo taken by Ken West's Ryan Taplin shows Lynn, Paula's sister, clutching a funeral program with Paula's picture visible. Oh. Lynn was distraught and is being held by Jason McRae, Paula's husband. From the article accompanying the photo, quote, Referring to the lack of clues to Paula's murder, Reverend James Richards told the 300-plus crowd of mourners, quote, May all of us leave those questions aside. It is quite enough for us now to be together in grief. It won't solve anything, but right now it's all we have. Family friend described Gallant as a beautiful and caring person, a diamond, who extended light to all who knew her. Everyone gravitated toward her because she truly was the life of the party, McLean said. Paula loved the limelight. You could always count on Paula to be the entertainment, and her friends truly appreciated it. The church bulletin featured a picture of Gallant's painting, The Four Elements, and a quote from her for its introduction. Quote, who or what? We've become relates back to the people who brought us into the world. End quote. Oh my God. So, how old was she around this time? 36. Oh my God. She was 36 years yeah. old. Police continued working the case, but seemed to have hit a dead end. No one else had seen anything unusual on the day that Paula had been murdered. But police were focused on one person who they watched closely. Yeah. Her husband, Jason McRae. Yeah. From court documents, RCMP formally interviewed Jason McRae on December 28, 2005, and his story just felt off. Mm. Police talked to him again on January 10, 2006, January 11, 2006, January 30, 2006, and on February 8, 2006. All right. And I'm sure they talked to him also in 2008 when he was charged with drunk driving. Oh, In each interview, McRae claimed that he had no knowledge of his wife's murder and maintained that she had left their home at about 2 p.m. 
on the date in question to go shopping and did not come home. People around the couple indicated that they had had a close, loving relationship and there were no reports of domestic violence or any signs of marital discord. See, this is where the clothing sticks out to me because if he's saying she intentionally went out, willingly went out Mm. to go shopping, you're not going to go out not prepared for the weather. That's probably what the police were thinking too. Police had uncovered something else though, Mm. but they were not making that public. It was small, but it seemed significant. Jason had incurred an online gambling debt of $700 and charged it to the couple's credit card. Jason McRae had hidden his loss from his wife. He had blamed his brother for running up the debt, and it had caused arguments between the couple. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound like a make-or-break amount, though, but I could absolutely see how it would create mm-hmm. a, a discussion. From court documents, quote, In his 2006 police interviews, McRae denied any link between his gambling debt and his wife's murder. He initially maintained the story that the debt was his brother's, but eventually admitted that he lied and that the debt was actually his, but claimed that it was not. Paula died never knowing the truth, he said. Mm. He said it was, quote, something I have to live with every day. I lied to Paula about something. He knew he had to confess to her, but he didn't want to bring it up over the holidays, so his plan, he said, was to tell her after New Year's. He said she would not have been too happy if she'd found out and would have been surprised, but they'd have worked it out. And 700 bucks, you would think. If this guy killed her for 700 bucks, Jesus Christ. Well, we don't know. That's, that's why I'm saying if. We've had, mean, we've had these stories go another way, Scott. And we, people have also murdered for far less. Right. According to court documents, the unsolved homicide generated intense media interest over the ensuing years, and against the advice of legal counsel, McCray gave an interview to the Chronicle Herald newspaper in 2007, in which he described himself as, quote, heartbroken and, quote, trying to get through day by day without the woman he described as, quote, my best friend and, quote, my life. On the same date, he issued the following public statement, quote, We live in a very close-knit community. Everyone says hi to everyone in the street, and there are always people on the streets of our community every day. I can't understand how something like this tragedy could have happened in the middle of the day and no one sees anything. If someone knows something and is afraid to come forward, it's not too late. Any information, even the smallest detail, could lead to a break in this case. My little girl is growing up without her mother because we have a killer walking amongst us. I do not want this to happen to someone else. If anyone knows anything about this case, please contact the police or Crime Stoppers. I mean, that th- seems like what you should say. Yeah. It definitely does. Yeah. He also contacted the CBC National News Program, The Fifth Estate, and he gave an interview to them. The Fifth Estate. He said, quote, maybe something done nationally might create more awareness and actually bring something to light. Okay, yeah, this sounds genuine. Like, if you've done this crime, you're not going to be trying to bring attention to it. I would think not. Well, yes, as would I. Yeah. After Paula's murder, Jason McRae continued living at 41 Silver Maple Drive with his daughter, Anna, and his mother, who'd moved in to help care for the little girl. Sure. The mortgage on the home was paid out by insurance. He was collecting monthly CPP and a Nova Scotia Teachers Union survivor benefits on behalf of himself and Anna. He also received a one-time CPP death benefit of $2,500. 
Jason submitted a claim on his wife's life insurance policy of $100,000, but he was denied by the insurer as the case was still unsolved. Makes mm. sense to me. You're not going to pay out just in case. I would have. I would think as long as he's not being considered a suspect, they would pay it out. But okay, sure. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I guess not. Yeah. In a weird twist, though, Jason did not pay the $5,500 bill for Paula's funeral expenses. What? Nor did he put a proper headstone on her grave. A temporary homemade wooden marker was installed. Uh, yeah, wood isn't uh, the best. Uh, it's not going to last no. outdoors in uh, different types right? of weather. Right, but that's strange behavior. Why aren't you going to pay for your wife's, I mean, maybe times are tight or... Well, but he's getting a severance and he's getting like... He's getting other things. Get, and some, he was working at Nova Scotia Power at so the time. There, there's so. income coming in. Right. Lynn and Lana never gave up their campaign to keep their sister Paula's murder yeah. and the fact that she had not found justice top of mind. The community of Timberley, Nova Scotia began an annual memorial walk in Paula's memory on June 27, 2007, and they called it A Walk to Remember. It's a great name. A global news item filed on the fourth anniversary of Paula's death highlights more of the sisters' work to bring Paula's killer to justice. Here's the audio from that piece. It has been four years since Paula Gallant's body was found in the trunk of her car in the parking lot of the school where she worked. The 36-year-old woman was a grade 3 teacher at Beachville Lakeside Timberley Elementary School just outside Halifax. Her murder is still unsolved and police say they are actively investigating it. Key to the investigation is to answer where Gallant was between 1.30 and 5.30 p.m. on December 27, 2005. Investigators believe her vehicle, a 1997 Green Cavalier, arrived at the school between 4 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. on that day. Major crime investigators believe it is possible that someone drove the vehicle to the school and left on foot or in another vehicle that might have been parked there throughout the day. Gallant's sisters, Lana Kelly and Lynn Blackburn, have worked tirelessly to keep her story in the public's attention. Earlier this month, family, friends and community leaders marked what would have been her 40th birthday with the March of Remembrance for not only their sister, but all crimes committed against women. And back in June of this year, they released a book in memory of their sister, Miss Gallant's favorite season. The children's book is about an elementary school teacher in Halifax and her passion for teaching. At the time, Blackburn said she was putting pen to paper herself to give a voice to her sister Paula. And my son said to me one day, he was, a, he was 11 when Paula was murdered, and I think he was about 13, and he said to me, Mom, how's your book coming along? And I said, well, I just continue to write. And he said, but you need an ending. Every story needs an ending. And I said, there will be an ending. As they mark yet another painful anniversary, she is still waiting to write the final chapter. The Nova Scotia Department of Justice is offering a $150,000 reward to anyone who will come forward with evidence to solve the cold case. Police urge witnesses to call Crime Stoppers. One hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. The sisters have had a book put together. There's walks for her. The art room was named the Paula Gallant Art Room at the school, at the BLT school. You know, there's a lot of things that they did to keep Paula's memory alive in the ensuing years after her murder. Uh, I'm unsure. In October of 2009... This is the same year as that last news piece. Okay. RCMP began an operation 
to employ one of their most controversial techniques oh God. in the hopes of acquiring a confession from Jason McRae, the only person who ever appeared to have any kind of motive in Paula's murder. That's right. It was the good old Mr. Big technique. The second you say controversial technique, mm-hmm. I know where it's going. It worked a year before in the getting a confession from Penny Boudreaux in the Bridgewater murder of yeah. her daughter, Carissa. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go again. Yep. From court documents, quote, Through the means of a ruse, McRae was introduced to an undercover officer who over time befriended him and purported to offer him work for a crime syndicate. A covert operation began utilizing several scenarios to gain the trust of McRae. In April 2010, McRae voluntarily quit his job at Nova Scotia Power to work full-time for the alleged crime syndicate. It just constantly blows me away how willing people are to go work for a crime syndicate. Right? It's like you, you'd you think like... No, Haven't every, they ever listened to a podcast, number one? My God, you would think that like you've got a good job. Like who in the right mind would be like, oh, this sounds like the, the right thing to do. But yet every fucking time. Yeah. So, oh, sure. I'm in. Yeah, let's go work for a crime syndicate, Scott. I really, I I just don't understand people the way I think I understand people. In August of 2010, Jason McRae finally confessed to undercover operators that he had killed his 36-year-old wife, Paula Gallant. Other shows have recreated the meetings between the RCMP's covert operators and Jason, so we won't repeat ourselves here. In summary... Jason admitted that he had been thinking about killing Paula for some time after the couple fought about Jason's $700 gambling debt and some work that needed to be done around the house. That's right. In Jason's eyes, the life of the mother of his infant daughter and wife of six years was worth less than $700. Like, how can you sit there and and look in your child's eyes while plotting Mm -hmm. the murder of your wife? Oh, my God. Yeah, this is five years later, so... Oh, it just kills me. Once Jason started talking, the whole story came out. According to the Globe and Mail, quote, that initial admission in a Newfoundland hotel room was followed three days later by Mr. McRae, now 37, reenacting his wife's murder at their home near Halifax. And that's what they do. They tell you you have to take us to the place and get us to reenact uh, this Murder every time because if the police are ever to find out and we need to be able to protect you, we need to know exactly what happened in order to be able to properly protect right. you and buy off this. And Jason McRae and Paula were arguing on the day that he killed her. Jason said that Paula was on the computer sitting on a chair with her back to him. He went upstairs and returned with a piece of two by four wood. He crept up behind his wife and struck Paula on the back of her head. He had miscalculated his swing and hit the wall with the wood while swinging it toward Paula's skull. Paula did not go down after being bashed on the head, but turned and stood up and faced him and screamed. Oh, intense. Jason rushed at Paula, grabbed her around the neck, and pushed her back into the laundry room area, and she landed on the floor with Jason on top of her, throttling her. While Paula was on the floor, she said, What are you doing? Stop. Yeah. He strangled her for a couple of minutes with both his hands. Jason said that he thought Paula may have peed herself as her pants were wet. You know, that would explain the... Uh, biological material. Yeah. Paula made gurgling noises as Jason strangled her on the laundry room floor. 
He told undercover operators that he could hear his daughter waking up from her nap on the nearby baby monitor as he strangled his wife. To ensure she was dead, Jason used saran wrap that he had retrieved from upstairs and wrapped it around Paula's face and head three to four times and left it there for about 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Jason covered Paula with a sheet left her in the laundry room, and then calmly went upstairs and fed Anna. After Anna was fed, Jason went outside to see if anyone was around. He returned to the basement, pulled the sheet off Paula, sat her up, and put a black pullover windbreaker jacket on her along with her pair of loafers. Jason wrapped Paula in a beige sheet and slid her out a window that is level and adjacent to the driveway just below the side staircase. Mm. Jason then deposited Paula in the trunk of her car and covered her with a gray blanket taken from an emergency kit that was in there. One of Paula's shoes had fallen off during the body transfer, so to conceal evidence, he picked it up and tossed it into the trunk with Paula. Mm -hmm. Jason left his infant daughter in her high chair and drove over to BLT school and parked the car there. He backed the vehicle into its parking spot The murderer left the keys in the console between the driver and passenger seats, locked the doors, and left. He then ran the short distance back to his home, cut across the school's soccer field, and used the path to Tiger Maple Drive and to his house at 41 Silver Maple Drive. To further cover his tracks, he stopped at a mailbox near his house, pretending he was mailing a letter in case anyone had spotted him outside. Mm. After returning home, Jason collected Anna, and took her out for a drive in his vehicle around 4 p.m. He went into the city near Halifax Shopping Center, about 13 kilometers from the scene of the murder. Jason got rid of the 2x4 and the saran wrap by throwing them into a dumpster. He went to the credit union and deposited $100 into an account to prove his whereabouts at the time. In a further effort to cover the evidence and to give himself more of an alibi, he then went to a needs store on the way home and bought batteries. So needs is a convenience store. Yeah. He noticed that he had a small nick on his hand when he got back home. The next day, he found Paula's earring in the laundry mm. room. He took it upstairs and disposed of it in a garbage can at a Tim Hortons three days later. This earring had also been observed by others when Jason discovered it. It's unclear how he explained its presence away. Hmm. He later repaired a ding in the drywall where he hit the wall when swinging the board at Paula's head. At Paula's funeral, he checked her fingernails and noticed that they had been clipped. So this guy had some awareness of police procedure. Awareness of police procedure and, and a lot of planning. Yeah. This was thought out. From court documents, quote, Jason McRae was arrested on August 17, 2010 and interviewed under caution. In his cautioned interview... McRae made no specific admissions, but did not deny involvement in his wife's murder. Mm. So, although he told the undercover operators everything, now that he's really under arrest, he's not talking. Yep. A warrant to search 41 Silver Maple Drive was executed the same day. A portion of drywall was excised where McRae had shown the undercover operators he had made repairs to the drywall and the drywall displays damage beneath the repair work consistent with the act described by Jason McRae. Oh boy. Finally, here's the break 
that everybody had been praying for, but hoped was not so, you know? Yeah. You, you want the killer to be caught, but you're just praying that it's not Jason. Well, for, for Anna, you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you don't want her to have to lose both of her parents. No. You know, and then to live with the, the knowledge that your father did it. Like, that's what that's the last thing anybody would have wanted to have happened. Yeah. Here's a global news clip of the day of Jason's arrest and charge. It was an entrance Polly Gallant's family and friends have waited four and a half years for. Today, someone was finally charged in the 36-year-old schoolteacher's murder. The accused is her husband. The charge of first-degree murder under the Criminal Code of Canada implies that the murder was planned and deliberate. 37-year-old Jason McRae sat quietly in court. He was arrested yesterday morning before police descended on his Timberley home, collecting new photos and evidence. At a press conference today, the Integrated Major Crime Unit said McRae was a person of consideration very early on in the investigation. But the break that led to this arrest came in June of last year. Galant's body was discovered in the trunk of her car, parked at the school where she worked in December 2005. Her husband was initially questioned, but never charged. Galant's immediate family, including her two sisters, who have fought tirelessly to keep the case in the public eye, asked for privacy today. Instead, a family friend read a statement from them. To family, friends, community members and the media, no words can fully express their deepest gratitude for the ongoing support they received throughout this entire ordeal. It's been greatly appreciated, and the strength, hope, and prayers that have been extended since December 27, 2005 will never be forgotten. The family also extended their prayers to the McRae family. Galant and McRae have a young daughter, Anna, who was just a week shy of turning one when her mother died. She had been living with her father up until his arrest. Police say she's now in the care of family. Rekalau, Global News, Halifax. On Wednesday... March 2nd, 2011, Jason McRae pleaded guilty in Nova Scotia's Supreme Court to the lesser charge of second-degree murder. Okay. His confession was read out to the court, with Paula's friends and family shocked to hear the details of her death. Jason then spoke. Here's global news coverage of what he said. Jason McRae then stood and addressed the court, saying, quote, I'm sorry, I can't express how I feel. I've never been a violent person. I don't know what changed in me that day. I loved her very much. A beautiful person's life was lost that day. I am truly sorry for all the pain I've caused. Justice Kevin Cody then sentenced McRae to life in prison with no chance of parole for a minimum of 15 years. Marie Adset, Global News, Halifax. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those words are pretty hollow. Yeah. When you've just. She's still gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your daughter uh, lost her mom. Yeah. And uh, sorry's just won't cut it. No. Paula's sister, Lynn, also had some poignant words outside the courtroom. And here's a portion of what she had to oh, say. Oh, I bet. There have been times when we were not certain this day would come. And she did not deserve to die by violence. Please do all you can to take action in ending men's violence against women. And I'll, lo- I'll work towards becoming a zero-tolerance society for Paula. All women who have or will be exposed to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Sad. It is very sad. It's very sad. Um, the... The reason I called this episode Perseverance, Prosecution, and Peace were those were the three things 
that Paula's family felt they needed to put things to rest. Okay. You know? Yep. And so even the RCMP around the Tantalan Detachment, uh, which was the one that patrolled Timberley, they had these purple magnetic P's on the back of oh, their cars, okay. you know, to yeah, remember yeah. Paula. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> um, in cases like this, where a parent murders the other, I often wonder what became of that child. Yeah, same. In this instance, I know. Oh. In 2010, as Hurricane Paula, ironically, was blowing about near Cuba, Anna was placed with Lana and my old friend Paul. From that point forward, Paul and Lana had been Anna's parents and Paul and Lana's children, her older siblings. I'm almost in tears here. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, Anna lives with uh, Paul's wife, Lana, now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's it for this week's case. That one was a little rough for me. Yeah, Just well, because, I mean... The connections. Every time that Paul's name is mentioned... Uh, all the video I watched of news clips and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's Paul. Yeah. Front and center. Yeah. You know, and I can't imagine, I never got to talk to him about it. I wanted to, but I never did get to talk to him about it. It's one of those things where you almost have to leave it in their hands. If they want to talk, mm-hmm. you just create an environment where they're safe. Well, that's the and thing. And if they want yeah. to talk about it, they will. I believe he knew what I was up to. So had he wanted to, he would have reached yeah. out. Yeah. So, cause I've known the guy, I'd known him since high school. I yeah. Mean, he was a few years ahead of me, but. Yeah. You know, and there could be many reasons why he wouldn't, uh, for mm. the sake of Anna. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, the, totally. the, he, he sounds from everything you're describing to oh, be just a, an amazing an person. Awesome I would imagine his, his wife is the same and mm-hmm. for them to take in Anna and, and like, oh. Yeah. Let's move forward. I need to do some voicemails because that was rough. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I, it just blows my mind away where somebody, 700 goddamn dollars. Right? It's nothing. Like how is, at what point is murder easier than divorce? I just, I can't grasp that. Right. It's never that. It never is. Like, how can somebody think that is the better of those options? Yeah. That's a great question, Scott. Oh, God. I am unaware. Let's listen to this voicemail. It makes no sense, this what I'm reading. Okay. Hi, Dr. Teen. This is Adela in Ottawa. I just finished uh, listening to the Grant to to Patey podcast, which was terrible, Um, I mean, awesome, but it's a terrible story. And uh, I wanted to tell a story of my own about stolen cars and screwdrivers. So you mentioned this in the podcast that, you know, it was pretty easy to um, steal cars with the, you know, popping the ignition and a screwdriver. And when I was in my undergraduate degree in Canada, but I'm not going to say where, not Ontario, um, my car, which was a Plymouth Sundance, which is, as most people know, a K-car in a suit, uh, was a terrible, terrible, horrible car, got stolen. And uh, we eventually found it, the police found it, and it had been, you know, some they think the kids stole it and they, you know, drove it off-road through fields or whatever until they ran out of gas. But this is what happened, is that, you know, they had used a screwdriver and popped out the ignition. But the great part of the story is that I had to figure out how, you know, to drive 
my car to go get it repaired to get the ignition fixed. And um, the cops at the site where they found my car after they had fingerprinted the steering wheel and stuff were super, super happy to show me how to use a screwdriver to be able to, you know, hotwire it and start it and, you know, get going without the key. So um, that might have something to do with the fact that that is a was a super common method of stealing cars. Anyway, um, go shit in your hat. Bye. Well, there you go. Yeah, it really, really was that easy back in the day. And how do you know this, Scott? You've sort of alluded to it a little bit in the episode that we did, but uh... I have a past, Mike. I have a past. Well, I've never stolen a car. Well, that's good. But I, I, I'm very well aware. I I had friends who were up to no good. Oh, sure. And uh, yeah, it was very. I my I had a car, my own car, mm-hmm. where the ignition broke, and that's how I started my own car. It was, you just crack. Oh, so it was just, your, your car was shitty. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You just, you just break off yeah. the ignition and it's just this little white piece and with a slot in it and you just turn, like, it's, you can't. It's not that easy anymore. You can't do that anymore. I don't no. even use a key. Yeah. There's no key in my car. Yeah. Because it's the future. It's the future. Well, let's listen to another one. Hello, I'm Adrian from Northern Alberta. Long time listening, the first time caller. It's September 30th, and I wanted to say happy podcast day. Thank you guys for all the content you make. Thank you for always being super respectful. And you can, you can clearly tell that you guys put a lot of effort and a lot of passion in whatever you do. Thank you for every episode, every week. Um, follow it by heart for a very long time. I don't have anything scripted, so this is all from the top of my head. I hope you guys have a great day. Again, happy podcast day, and thank you for everything you do. You don't take a shit on your hat, but instead have a great day. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, thank you very much. We're not offended if people tell us to shit in our hats, yeah. by the way. No, we, we enjoy it. And that was just an all-around lovely voicemail. Yeah. That was just a sincere, genuine voicemail. Yeah. Thank Lo- you. Lovely is lovely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, that... that, that yeah, that helped. That was very kind. That helped to uh, ease my tension from from the last episode. The, yeah. that, this episode, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right. So I guess it. I guess that means that it's a certain time oh, of day. It's time for me to dip into my old brain of knowledge. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Scott, broken really, brain of knowledge. Jesus, I really haven't to reach down far here. Yeah, we have to. Uh, Not because there's so much knowledge. Just to try to find it. <laughs> if you look in his ears with one of those um, things that uh, the doctors have. You can see out the other side. Yeah, it says, uh, no, it just says for rent. It's like there's a hamster on a wheel in there. Yeah, a hamster on a wheel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except it's dead. <laughs> the hamster is dead. Which is a, not good. We don't, yeah. It wasn't enough to eat. Oh, boy. Where are we going? Okay, we'll go. All right, I guess now it is time for Patreon. Let's let's figure out if anybody gave us some love. Yeah. So first up, we have Dawson Kinney, and Dawson is from Sisson Ridge in New Brunswick. Oh, well, yeah. there we go. Yeah, New Brunswick. NB, the old NB. The old NB. That's what I like to call it. New Brunswick? Yeah, the old NB. 
Have you ever actually called it that before? Oh, about 30 seconds ago. About 30 seconds yeah. ago. There yeah. you go. Yep. Uh, next up we have, oh, oh, but wait. Wait, yeah. We huh? didn't do it. We. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. My God. Mike. What does Dawson do for a living in the old NB? Uh, Dawson uh, creates uh, jingles, commercial jingles. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Has he done any that we know? Pretty much all of them. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, he's the only guy. Did he do Casino Taxi? It's the fast one. Yeah, casino Taxi, you know near as your phone. Yeah, that's that's an old one. But yeah. Yes, it is yeah. very old. Yeah, you know, it's actually, now I can't forget the number 429-6666 or 425-6666. Wow, because, you know, Uber now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, taxis. Exactly. Yeah. taxis. Yeah, so he, he made that jingle, there as well go. as many others. Well, thanks, Dawson. Yeah. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Oh, That's it his most popular. Definitely is a relief. Next, we have Jacob Nicholas oh. from Richmond, uh-huh. British Columbia. Uh, I'm skipping a jump away. And what does Jacob do out there in yeah. Richmond? He works at TNT Supermarket. Oh, great. Yeah. I like to get food from TNT. Oh, some great stuff Get there. yourself some octopus there. I'm really not, not so jazzed on the octopus. No, why not? No, I can't. St- oh, my God. I can't a jo- st- octopus holding a mushroom. That's no. what you get. No, I can't stand uh, those kind of, that kind of seafood. Anything oh. that's squishy. I'm not going to eat a clam. I'm not going to eat a mussel. Screw that noise. Uh, octopus, squid. No. No. No, it's squishy. When I was in Australia, I like when I was in Australia, they got me to nibble on a calamari. Martin's brothers got me to nibble. I, Are I you took, serious? I took the smallest bite of calamari and i, I just love calamari. did not like it at all calamari is amazing i promptly said no to the rest oh well yeah. a lot of peer pressure involved to get me to do that <laughs> well thank you jacob uh if you see scott at the tnt just hide the octopus yeah, please yeah please and mushrooms <laughs> next we have brandy lemon oh, brandy? and i don't know where brandy's from oh uh looks like related to jack lemon maybe i don't know probably how many lemons could there be uh from well it's it's i've always had a hard time pronouncing pelicar pelicure in uh micronesia oh she's in pelicure pelicure yeah i mean that might be one way to say or pelicure i think it's pelicure micronesia scott yeah Wow. Not Macronesia. It's don't just confuse east of the, the Philippines. Don't apparently. confuse it with Macronesia. Oh, right. Yeah. And what does Brandy do in Pilikir? A bartender. Oh, good. Yeah, bartender. There you go. Good yeah. job. Yeah, it's... Uh, good tips. Tourist industry is uh, thriving there. And as long so, as you're not getting high on your own supply. No, no. She's just she's just giving, handing out the wobbly pops, not consuming them. There you go. Yeah. Next, we have a new prime minister. Whoa, Jennifer! Or it is Jenna Sonier. Wow, and she is from the Hammer Town, Hamilton, Ontario. Hamilton. I was hanging out with somebody from Hamilton today on the Zoom for oh, Carol's yeah. grandma's hundredth birthday party. Oh, oh, wow! Happy birthday, hundredth birthday, Margaret Wilson. That's a milestone, right? Uh, so, what does Jenna Sonier do? In Hammertown. Uh, uh, sommelier. It's kind of similar to the last. Oh, so she's like, well, that's that's a little more fancy. But we, alcohol is involved is the point. So why do you have alcohol in your mind, Scott? Neither uh, of us drink. Oh, I've, I started. Uh-oh. Yeah, I started. Well, we'll be seeing Scott in a meeting <laughs> of those anonymous folks very soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I just figured, you know, 46, that's the time to start. There you go. Yeah. So enjoy your job as a sommelier and also... As a new prime minister, Jenna Sonier, you are a rock and roll star. We bow down to you. Uh, Next up, we have from 
Grand Prairie, Alberta. Teguin, uh, Teguin Sky Curtis. Mm-hmm. And what does Teguin do in Grand Prairie, Alberta? That's a great question. Uh, what Teg Teguin does? Yeah. Is um. Um, oh, God. Scott's lost. You, nope. you beat Scott. Nope. I'm Tegwin just, has beat Scott. I know so many Tegwins. I'm trying to <laughs> narrow down which one does what. I'm fairly certain that's the only time I've ever seen that I name. I got like 12 friends named that. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah, it's a popular name. Way more friends than I do. I know. I know. I don't like to brag, but I know. Uh, Tegwin does, um, um, Wow! Uh, you oh, could say uh, um some more. A roof, roof tiler. She tiles roofs. She's oh, so she's a roofer. Roofer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what. That's yeah. hot work. Oh my god! Unless yeah. it's winter time, because then it is yeah. not hot work. No, it's very and cold. It's cold work. and slippery. Then very, very. It's treacherous. Some would yeah. say. Don't yeah. do it in the winter. Time. No, no. So yeah, so Taiwan's a roofer. There you go. Yeah, uh, but doesn't do it as like it's not the typical. Uh, uh, tar and whatnot that you see actually puts um, uh, mortar, brick and mortar, and mm-hmm. it's brick roofs. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, it's, it's weird. Next up, we have from San Jose, mm-hmm. California. Yep, they have one Shelby of Groves. Oh, Shelby Groves. What a, did you that, host? You should. I hope you hosted radio shows. Sh- this is Shelby Groves <laughs> here on the morning radio. Oh my God! Did you see that? Did you see the sitcom last night? It was fantastic. It was zany. It was zany. zany. Oh my God! When Rachel smacked Monica across the face, <laughs> Shelby grows. Yeah. And so, what does Shelby do in San Jose? You just did it. Oh, she's a radio. She host. She is a radio well, host. How about them apples? Or he it could be a he. I'm fairly certain it's a she. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, but you know we've been wrong before. And we oh, are Lord op- we are open. If you're a they, that's great too. Let us know. Correct, Let us know. Correct us. Yeah. We want to be. We'll cor- be fine with it. Yeah. Uh, next up, Shall we, we have what a name. Denise Nicholson mm-hmm. from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia. Holy crap! Rep- Home of Sidney Crosby. Representing. Yeah. Wow. Sid the kid. Sid the kid. Um. So, what does Denise do? Way back there in Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia. <laughs> De- Denise um, uh, makes cards for Cards Against Humanity. Oh, well, there you go. All the popular ones. <laughs> there. I always get the really nasty ones. I love that game, and I haven't played it in like We should get to years. all get together and play it. Yeah, we should. We should get the Yumber Yarders from BC together to play Cards Against Humanity. Oh, my God. Over computer. Oh, my God. If you could do that. I don't know. You must be able. To. We should be able to it's do gotta it. has got to be able Play to. it over Zoom? 20, that would be fun. It's 2020. It would be. But okay, so she makes cards. What's her favorite card from Cards Against Humanity? What's Denise's favorite card? I, uh, you're going to have to ask Denise. Yeah. Um, probably the one that says, if I was a vegetable, you'd put me... And then I always get dead babies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is not where you want to put your vegetables. No. Um, great. Well, thanks, Denise. Thank you, Denise. And, uh, give everybody in Nova Scotia a hug, because I'm not allowed back there just now. After after COVID. I have to quarantine for two weeks before I show up. Yeah. And next, from Kelowna, British Columbia, we have Gabriel Dufour. Mm -hmm. Gabriel. So what does Gabriel 
doing good old Kelowna. Oh, uh, well. Close Ga- by to Alan Warren. Yeah, Alan this R. is Warren. true. Yeah. Gabriel scans uh, the Okanagan Lake for Ogopogo. Oh, good. Yep. Someone's got to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. And that's Gabriel. Well, Just there you go. Constant scanning, back and forth. Been doing it for 25 years. What? I know. Wow. I know. Either either a very terrible sonar. I didn't know sonar. they were naming children Gabriel 24 years ago. No, they were. That's that, it's the first one. Ah, okay. Yeah. But, well, there you go. But yeah, like it, it, uh, I'm assuming either there is no Ogopogo. Right. Or you're using very antiquated technology, Gabriel, and maybe you need to upgrade to oh. 2020 tech. Yeah, maybe. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's it's a good thing to say. It is. I thank you for acknowledging that. Uh, <laughs> we are a weird couple of weirdos. Okay, this is correct. And our last patron is another prime minister. Double prime minister. So double PMs here. Yeah. And this is Irina Petkovic. Oh. And she is from Toronto. Toronto. Ontario. Toronto. Oh, no, you didn't. Uh, there goes kidding. that prime minister. I like Ontario. Yeah. I like, I like, I love Toronto, actually. I've loathed it my whole life. You know what? And I then loathe I went Toronto there. to like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You loathe it until you go there and you think, well, this city's great. Yeah, I was, yeah, I left there going like, God damn it, I wish it didn't come here. I liked it better when I hated yeah, it. It was easier to hate <laughs> it when you don't easy. know exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. Because people are nice. But fuck the maple leaves. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Irina. What does Irina Petkovic do? I think she's a figure skating instructor. You would think so with that name. No, no, owns a, an ice cream I shop. I was just racial profiling. You, you so really did. And then I supported it. You did. <laughs> yeah, we're terrible. Yeah, we're both terrible Yeah. People. No, owns a, a, an ice cream parlor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ro- her, her Rocky Road is just fantastic. Is there vodka in it? There I go again. Mike, racially Jesus, profiling wow. people. Wow. So her We had a great run. run. We had, we had a was great run. Dark Patine was fun. Yeah, we had a great, it was great while it lasted. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Cheers to you, Scott. Yeah, Mike, I bow my my head. Yeah, now that we're done. Um, <laughs> Rocky Road, though, it's delicious. Delicious. I love Rocky Road. In Nova Scotia, we don't get Rocky Road. We get what? Heavenly Hash, it's called. Oh, that sounds great anyway. It's the same thing. Well, it's essentially. I, I love some butterscotch ice cream. You like butterscotch. Yep. Or, or or something like maple walnut ice cream. Oh. You like maple walnut ice cream. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, how about that? Yeah, how about Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. I like, you know what I like? Uh, all of it? Yeah, I do like all of the ice creams. <laughs> <laughs> all of the ice creams are, are quite good. But uh, have you ever had a tiger tail? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got small doses, though. I love it in small yeah. doses. Yeah. I, I can't fill a bowl. And That's be like, orange and black licorice, just yeah. so people... Yeah, I can't know. fill a bowl. So thank you, Irina Petkovic, our newest prime minister. And, I mean, and just quickest, un- probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably completely offended by everything we just said. Yeah, it happens. Um, we did get some... Donut money this week. So my goodness. Sweet. So please enjoy some donuts in celebration of my babies, Phoebe, 18th <gasps> birthday on the 5th of October. Hoping you get this in time to wish her a happy birthday on Monday. Hey, Phoebe. Phoebe. Are, you're not the Phoebe from Friends, are you? Uh, no, uh, because 18. She's singing the song about Smelly Cat. <laughs> oh my God, I remember that. Smelly Cat. No, because she's eight, she turning 18. 
We both love the show. Thank you for all the work you put in. Cheers, Megan, Kessie. And yes, my patron went up in Phoebe's name. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And happy 18th birthday to Phoebe. That's a great birthday, Phoebe. 18? Phoebe is a pretty name. That's a great name. It's pretty name. Like you named your daughters pretty names. I did. And Olivia. Very, very pretty pretty names. I wanted to name Violet. Violence, Punchenheimer, Heminoy. Yes, I know. Yeah. Didn't, didn't Scott's not to, well, and Joanna put the kibosh on that. Yeah, so. so, but Phoebe is just a—that's a fantastic name. So, thank you, Megan, and happy birthday, Phoebe! Happy birthday, Phoebe! Thank you, Megan. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, we have someone from Australia named Karen Anderson. Oh, and she says, "Love you guys from a nice lady here <laughs> in Armadale, North." No. New South Wales. New South Wales, Australia. Oh, thank you. X's and X's. That's two X's, one for each of us. Thank you, Karen. You're a nice lady. You're one of the good Karens. She's the good. They're not all bad. No, no. The Karens are getting a rough go right now. Yeah, it's fading. Thank goodness. Yeah, Karen. Thank goodness. That name, you know, I'm just waiting. Well, mics have been maligned as well at points and scott's pretty neutral there's never been like an yeah. anti-scott campaign well we can work on that i'm sure it's coming i'm sure it's absolutely <laughs> it's gonna sure happen it's, one sure, day yeah it's coming one I'll, day. I'll get my reckoning yeah the scots of the world will get our comeuppance <laughs> get your comeuppance oh boy so yeah well how about them apples um thank you to all our patrons and donut money donors past and present for your help to keep us doing what we do if you want to help Keep Dark Poutine going. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash dark poutine. Or for a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on iTunes podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever the heck else you get your on-demand audio. Sure. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Take time, please take time to give a like or follow to Facebook, uh, to Dark Poutine on Facebook and Instagram. And most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing, good and bad. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Toodaloo, everybody. Uh, toodles. Uh, bonsoir. Goodbye. Bye-bye. See ya. Where are, Where are we leaving? Oh, my headphones are off. Your headphones are off? Yeah, my headphones I are off. I guess I should stop recording. So, well, maybe. Maybe not. I'll put them back.